0: Hello, 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 friends, and welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where we reclaim the super shiny lights that burn in each of us. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach who believes in the power of showing up as our flossom selves, even and especially, my friends, when it comes to working through our hard stuff. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So, buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. One of the best things about She Finds Joy is our community. So, be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other women who are creating more joy in their lives just like you. You can find us at kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy. All right let's dive in to today's episode. Here we go. I am super excited to introduce my guest today. Her name is Sarah Dean and Sarah and I actually met in a mutual mastermind and I'm gonna read her bio for you in just a moment but she is one of those women that I just immediately felt a sense of connection to. I, I felt like she was a sister friend. Um, I don't know. I, I have to say, I was just glued to your energy and your presence and the way you navigated the world, Miss Sarah. And so let me do your bio, and then we're going to get into some great questions that we have planned for today. So, Perfect. Sarah Dean is the creator and host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. Get this, you guys, it's a top-rated podcast with over 2 million downloads. Sarah's biggest passion is helping women own their space. After enduring her own identity crisis following the birth of her son, Sarah took her background in psychology, health, and wellness and rebuilt her identity one step at a time. Sarah motivates and inspires women to stop shrinking and start shining. She is on a mission to inspire women and moms, in particular, to live bigger, older, braver every damn day. That's her hashtag, every damn day. <laughs> Sarah serves women through her podcast, her Thriving Momentum Mamas membership community, her Tenacious Mamas business and leadership mastermind, and her annual event for which I recently saw she has secured a bomb-ass location. <laughs> <laughs> the annual event called the Shameless Mom Con. When she's not supporting shameless moms, you'll find Sarah with her husband and seven-year-old son building Legos and pretending to understand Pokemon. Welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, Ms. Sarah Dean.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, I can't wait to dig into this because um, you and I definitely have this I don't know what it is. There's a special thing between the two of us. I felt it from um, the very beginning, and it has been a joy to just be in the same circle as you. You are one of those women who consistently raise the ceiling on what I think is possible for my own life. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, my gosh. I would say the same for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We are. We are good support systems for each other. All right. So what I want to know is I want you to tell me a little bit more about who is the Sarah Dean behind this great bio? What are the dynamics of, let's just start with your professional life. Like how Mm -hmm. did you get to become an entrepreneur? How did you get to become a woman who has this podcast with 2 million downloads, who runs these groups where she coaches women? Like take us back to that. Where where did you start and how Mm -hmm. did you get here?
1: So I think it began, um, years ago. I, so I started off with a career in psychology. I worked in a psych hospital with kids for seven years. When I left that career, I left to go be a personal trainer. And when I became a personal trainer, I had two options in terms of how to gain employment. One was I could go work at a big box gym, like 24 hour fitness or LA fitness, um, and I could make $13 an hour. The other option was I could go out on my own, build my own business and make 60 to $65 an hour. And so for me, there was this, it was like, there was no question as to how I was gonna go about this. And I have this very strong sense of fairness and justice. And I also have a very strong sense of like, I will not be a victim of the patriarchy. So I am not gonna go work for $13 an hour at some big gym run by a male dominated corporation. And so that's kind of where entrepreneurship began for me. Um, I had no desire to be an entrepreneur, to build my own business. I just wanted to be a really good personal trainer who made decent money and, <laughs> um, and set my own schedule. And so I did that. Um, I built my own personal training business. I ended up eventually owning my own gym. And when, and that business was amazing. I loved it. I loved building the community around it. So my gym was a fitness studio for women. And In Seattle? in Seattle yeah and so i built that community um about 10 years into that venture uh or not probably 8 years into that venture um my husband and i started trying to get pregnant we went through a lot of things around infertility i ended up having my son and i learned pretty quickly after my son was born that i had built a business that i was very very proud of and i loved the community that i built but the business did not Seemed to really align with my core values after I became a mom, and what that looked like for me was I had built a business around helping women shrink their bodies, and primarily the way I marketed to people in on a local level was helping women with weight loss programs and really marketing around like you know join this program, you're going to lose 21 pounds in 21 days, and like really kitschy things that men say. Um, in In fitness marketing and which made me a lot of money and it built, helped me build a really great community. but all of a sudden, I was like, This is not how I want to be of service to women. like I do not want to buy be selling this to women as like your biggest goal in life should be to lose weight and so again, justice, fairness, and like smashing the patriarchy, I was like, i can't do this anymore. this is not in alignment with my core values. So I decided to start a podcast where I was really talking around. Motherhood and kind of just all the things that come with motherhood that I didn't expect. And so I started the Shameless Mom Academy podcast while I still had that? the gym. What, what was that? that?
0: What year was that you started the podcast?
1: Um, that was March of 2016. Okay, so you still had the gym? Yep, yep still had the gym. Vinny's
0: old? your son?
1: <clears throat> Vinny's currently seven. He was about three when I started the podcast. Okay, so
0: three when he starts so the podcast. So he was three. He's still yeah. There's this struggle between your core values, being a yeah. mom, running this gym.
1: And the gym, I really, the, as I built the podcast more and more, I felt like this is, these are my core values now. Like I'm really proud of what I built back then, but this is not where I want to be right now. And so I decided to sell the gym, um, and which was a grueling process. <laughs> um, but I also, uh, when that got really hard, I was fortunate enough to be working with a coach. And she's like, you know, no matter how this ends up at the end of the day, you're going to be a female business owner who sold a company. And I was like, thank you. That's all I needed. She's like, very few women do that. I was like, great. Sign me up. Yes. <laughs> I want to be, uh, you know, among the leaders. So, um, so I sold the gym and went all in on the podcast and built a business around the podcast, um, which has been amazing and, and also challenging. And, also a lot of work and also so rewarding and life giving on in all sorts of ways I could never have
0: imagined. So, so that's how I got here. Um, and what I'm doing now. So, okay. I want to back up a minute. So you, you really, you sold the gym in 2016.
1: I sold it in 2018. It took 20, a while to sell.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So you sell the gym in 2018. Yeah. You've got about a year and a half or two years of this podcast going. Mm-hmm. At what point did you um, start to make money for mm-hmm. yourself and your company? And all, like, when, when did you start to like kind of launch into, okay, now I'm going to create my first women's program or my yeah. first, yeah, like how did that mm-hmm. all come about? so i I, so many listeners who have these ideas but but they don't hmm. really think they can make them happen
1: yeah exactly and and the other thing that women I mean, this happens with women and men, but when we start businesses, if they're, if we're not bringing in, because we see so many women or so many people online bringing in, you know, six figure, building six figure businesses in six months. If we haven't done that, then we're like, oh, well, clearly I missed the mark. I need to move on to something else. When the reality is, no, you need to stick with the thing that you started. So for me, the first, when I decided to start the podcast, I gave myself, I said, I just want to try this and see how it feels. I had no intentions of building a business around it. I just wanted to have a platform to be having different conversations than what I was having as a gym owner. And so it started out as a passion project, just a fun hobby, just a total, like I'm doing this out of curiosity to satisfy something in me that feels good. And so I did that and after about six months, I was like, I'm liking this, I'm getting good feedback, I wanna do more of this, so now what can I do with that? So I kind of made a deal with myself and I will fully admit I was in a very privileged situation that my gym could fund this hobby So I understand a lot of people when they're starting a business can't just be like, I'm just going to not make money on it for a while. But I had another business paying the bills for me. So I was in this very privileged space to be able to let this be a hobby for a while. Um, So I made a deal with myself. I'm not going to try to monetize anything for the first year. I just want to really build a community, build a following and, 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 kind of elevate my credibility, authority, and and trust level with my listeners, and then go more into building business. So I actually have a post-it note on my desk that shows my revenue over the course of the year since I started the show. So the show, the first year that I had the show, 2016, I made $19.15 on the podcast. I don't even know what I did that, uh, like, I just looked this up in QuickBooks the other day because I was like, I need to have these numbers in front of me to like for me to remember how far I've come kind of. And when I wrote this down, I was like, what did I sell for $19 and 15 cents? I have no idea. But in QuickBooks, it said that the Shameless Mom Academy made $19 and 15 cents in 2016. In 2017, it made $9,281. This is when I still had the gym. So it was just a little bit every month, um, t- like small little things. I did like a couple little four-week programs where people could join me for similar to what you're doing. I was like, join me for, we did like a self-care program one summer. We did um, like, a, it was like curating happiness and like things like that. Little programs that brought in that money. Then in 2018, being fully out of the gym, actually the gym sale happened in 2018. So part of the year I was out of the gym, but I went from that 9,000 a year in 2017. And then 2018, I did 67,000. And now this year we're on track to do over six, to do multiple six figures. And so when people ask about like, how long does it take and what do you do? You start out at $19 and 15 (laughs) cents and and you build it. And then the next year it might only be $9,000, which is still not livable. So this is not, again, coming from a place of privilege. I'm in a double income family. I had the gym, but this is what it looks like. Like the reality behind the scenes of the many people building businesses this is what it looks like. It is a side hustle that takes time. It takes energy. It takes showing up. I've never missed an episode. I have now six streams of revenue built around it. And it's just been slow, consistent, and steady. When you look at it on the internet, it looks like, oh my gosh, it's like blown up overnight. Nope. (laughs) It's been slow, consistent,
0: (laughs) steady. I know. But, but what I love is, see, Mm -hmm. I think that so much of the time, if we listen to that really burning desire of how we really want to show up and serve and that is our focus first then I think the financial gain follows that and Mm -hmm. I I think it's like listening to that thing that lights a fire in you every day and so like I I love that I mean because let's I'm just gonna call it out right now Sarah Dean I saw you in a picture on social media and you were holding with your girlfriends a balloon that said 2M, which meant that for 2019 you hit the two million dollar mark, my friend. No, not two no two million downloads. Oh,
1: I was <laughs> insane.
0: Oh my god. I this
1: whole time have thought it was two million down. Oh, two million downloads. Oh. You're like, never mind, cancel the interview. Cancel the interview. <laughs> She's
0: <laughs> actually not oh, that great. Dying. Oh my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> two million downloads. Like Sarah, you jumped from like you were already high up on my ladder. I went from sixty-seven thousand to two million. I yeah, and I actually told my husband that on the phone. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That, that's why he thinks I'm so credible. But but let's let's be honest. You said you're at multiple six figures for 2019, and you have yes. six different yeah. streams of revenue, yes. and all of this yeah. was born out of a an a creative pursuit and desire. Right that really lived in your heart and was aligned to your core values. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And,
1: and I will tell you other people who started at the same time as me have very similar numbers. And there are people who very publicly have shared reaching multiple six figures in the same amount of time as me, as me. So I don't know if you follow Carl Lowenthal, but she's someone who talks about, we launched at a very similar time and she's done in her first full year, or maybe the second full year, but anyway, early, she hit seven figures doing something very similar. Yeah. And so, and hers was very much the same thing as me, showing up really consistently, being pretty uncomfortable. I mean, for her, some of her messaging is a little sassier than mine, which I love. Um, so she leaned into the discomfort of that and she built a massive following and she showed up and served her people. So, you know, whether or not, whether you're making, you know, enough money to quit a job at maybe $67,000 a year, or enough money that you have now, you know, seven figure, multiple seven figure business, all of it is possible, but you have to keep showing up and you have to do the work and you have to trust your skills and trust your, um, you have to believe that you're qualified. And so you have to believe that you're qualified and worthy, whether it's making the 67,000 or the 300,000 or the 1 million or the 2 million, all of it is that you have to believe that you're qualified and worthy. And I think that's where we get tripped up is when the first year we make, you know. $300 $300 or $3000 and then we're like, "Oh, well, clearly that means I'm not qualified." No, it just means you haven't put the time in yet or you need to rework something or you need a different maybe a different direction within the same thing or maybe you need to take a bigger leap in the same direction. So
0: yeah, we, we give often,
1: people give up too easily. They doubt themselves. Oh my gosh, we give up so easily. We move on to plan B and plan B when you move on to plan B repeatedly, it really really I think crumbles your identity. It, like it cuts away at who you are um, over time. And it's, I mean, if you look in diet culture, it's like women who quit diets over and over and over. That has a massive impact on your identity and your mental health and your ability to believe in yourself at all. And it's, you know, if you're quitting jobs over and over and over, if you're quitting businesses over and over and over, all of that, when you see yourself as someone who quits things or someone who doesn't stick it out and make it work, that totally impacts your ability to be successful in, in, at anything.
0: I agree, and I think it helps. Like, I love that you gave us those figures. Like, you made what was it, sixteen dollars or nineteen dollars the yeah. first year? I mean, right? When I look at you know, in twenty sixteen, I went full time with Strobel Education, and and like I said, I'm the girl who made eight dollars an hour at one time in her life. Um, yeah. And in fact, I mean, not only that, but I, I I rode the bus in the morning and in the evening um, at the time to make an extra sixteen dollars a day. So that 16 times five equaled 80. And that paid for my son's daycare, you know? Um, And so I'm that girl who made $8 an hour. And I am also the girl, right? Who can step on the stage now and command 7,500 for an hour. And so if I were to look at my circumstances back then and make a judgment on what was possible, I really would have robbed myself based on the circumstances. Yes. And I, I love that because then what happened was I love struggle education. I, I love working with teachers, but there's always been this like, and I I guess I'll go ahead and say it. It might even be a a bigger burning desire to Mm. really help women step into this best version of themselves. And so last year I launched my happiness coaching Mm. and, you know, um, I think the first, Last year, I, I don't, well, oh my gosh, I don't even want to, like, I might've brought in 48,000, but I'm just going to tell you my bills probably far outweighed that, right? Because there's this whole team. And now look at 2020, we're hoping to grow that even bigger, but it's just like taking an idea and not being afraid to, to enter into what I call the arena of bigness. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to know, okay, I want to back up a little bit because there's a story that I happen to know about you. So we're going to take a little bit of a segue off of the the business entrepreneur that you are and how your your courage to show up in that realm has continued to have a major impact on women all across the world, really, because I know you have people listening in other countries. But I want to talk a little bit about how as women, we can overcome hard things. And I know that um, one of the most challenging things that you ever went through Mm -hmm. was infertility. And can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Because I know we have some listeners who, I mean, I happen to know one of my previous coaching clients and it is the number one thing, Sarah, Mm -hmm. keeps her from living her best life is this constant concern over what will she ever be able to become a mother? And how do do the rest of the pieces in her life fit into that. So tell us your story.
1: Sure. So we, my husband and I, um, were, we had waited a while to try to, to try to get pregnant. We were, I believe I was probably 30. Well, (laughs) I mean, it's all relative, but I was probably 34. or So when we started to try, he's nine years older than me, we'd been together for a long time. So at that point we'd been together for eight years, um, or so. And so it uh, it felt like if we're going to do this, we should do this. We weren't super certain. We, we were like, we don't want to regret not having kids. So like, we should just get the ball rolling. Well, then it ended up taking quite a while. Um, and what's funny is how long you spend, how much of your life you spend trying to not get pregnant, like ensuring that that won't happen, especially if you're a control freak like me. And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. I've tried so hard to make sure I never get pregnant on accident. And now, like now <laughs> the <laughs> stars aligned for me. Happening. Um, and so we went through this really long journey and which involved a ton of decision making, a ton of stress financial and emotional and physical stress. Um, and I think for me during that time, so the first kind of the first round of that was when was between my ages of 34 and 37. And um, so during that time, it felt extremely lonely, extremely isolated. And I didn't talk to very many people about it. All of my girlfriends were having babies. A lot of my girlfriends were having second babies. And I was constantly just getting like Facebook notifications like, oh, guess who's pregnant? And oh my gosh, picture of an ultrasound. And, And a lot of them were like, oh my gosh, we didn't think it would happen so soon, but yay, or we didn't expect it at all, but yay. And I was like, oh my God, I hate you. Um, I also was, I had my fitness business at the time. I had my gym and I had a lot of women there who were moms and who were coming in, like as moms do, you know, like complaining about motherhood and stuff. And I was like, you don't even know how good you have it. Mm -hmm. So this was this kind of big secret that I had in the background. And I had to show up constantly, like everything's great. It's wonderful. Love and life. And then I would like drive home from the gym every day crying. It was a really, really hard time. And I definitely had that feeling around like, is this gonna happen? When is this gonna happen? Um, And my husband, I just think men don't understand because their bodies are not the ones. So when you're going through infertility, what a woman has to do to monitor everything about her body during that time is ridiculous. And so, I mean, talk about putting your life on hold. I mean, every single thing my husband wanted to do, I was like, well, but we can't do that because what if we're pregnant then? And this went on for years. And so to your, um, wow. client's point around, like you get so, so consumed and you really feel like you need to push pause on everything. So we went through all of that. We ended up is um,
0: it like this, like visceral, um, like I am a woman and this is, this is what my body is supposed to be able to do naturally. And my golly, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I'm going to kind of put life on hold and other every. Area, my golly, we're gonna make this happen and I'm gonna follow the charts and the temperatures. And is it all of that?
1: So there was some of that for sure. There was also part of it for me being a high achiever. Like there's had never been anything that I had tried to do that I couldn't do. Like if I wanted to get an A on a test, I would do whatever it took to get an A on a test. And so for this to be like, I'm doing everything you're supposed to do and this is not working. I've, I had never had that before. I had never, basically one. I, the way I talked to my friends about it was like, I'm getting an F on a test every month. I've never gotten anything besides like an A minus, like an A minus is failure in my book and I am getting an F every single month. So it was, I just never had that in my life. So there was that part of it as well. Um, and, and because So you go through phases where you're like, okay, I'm going to try to like be really optimistic. Maybe this will be the month. And then it's not the month. And then you're devastated. And it takes you that whole next cycle to like work your way back up to like, okay, maybe this will be the month. And it's just over and over. It is so exhausting to have that happen. And then you think, well, what if it doesn't ever happen? And what does that mean? And how far do we go? And I mean, fertility clinics, they will take any amount of money that you are willing to pay. And so then you're like, where do we draw a line in the sand? And when do we start looking at other options? And so it's just, it gets very confusing and overwhelming. And it's very surreal because you, I felt like you kind of dissociate from the process and you're just in decision-making mode. Like, okay, I guess we're going to, you know, move down the list of like, we tried A, B and C, now let's go to D. And you're not even really like able to think it through. So so, we finally got pregnant. Um, we had my son Vinny, who uh, is now seven. He's com- 100% the light of our lives. And I'm rolling my eyes as I say it because I used to be annoyed with how people talked about their kids. And I'm like, right. oh my God, I'm so that person. Yeah. But so we had him. We went back through this infertility journey again after he was born. So, he was born, he was a really hard baby. And that was like a whole nother journey around I worked really hard for this. I should be so grateful, but this is really hard. and. So that was very challenging. Um,
0: and and I, I want to, you to talk lo- about that a little bit. So because I do like, so you you do all this work, you have this beautiful baby, you're in love with the baby, but what else? What else are you feeling at this time? So I
1: had set up. I mean, one of the gifts of infertility, and I had, have done a lot of mindset resets around infertility to kind of reframe it in my head. So one of the gifts of infertility for me, for us, was that during that few years that we were trying to get pregnant, I really restructured my gym to operate without me. So that when whenever this baby came, I would be able to work from home and raise this baby and be home with the baby. And this was like my life dream. I would have this business running itself on the side. I'd be home with this baby. Well, then the baby came and the baby was really hard. Nursing was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I had a ton of health complications, some related to nursing, some related to my bladder. Like it was
0: a hot freaking mess. And did you Um, feel guilty? Did you feel guilty for having like some negative feelings about, you know, like I should not feel frustrated. I should not feel because like we worked so hard and now I've been given this gift, but here I am and I'm this mom now and it sucks to nurse or like,
1: yeah. So I didn't feel guilty. I felt angry. Like I felt more angry. Like, like this is not what I was told this was going to be like, I was told it was going to be lots of snuggling on the couch and nobody told me about mastitis. Nobody told me I was going to end up in the ER with an infection. Nobody told me that my bladder was going to fall apart. Nobody told me that I was going to have this screaming baby that couldn't get enough food. That was like borderline failure to thrive. That had to get weekly weight checks that had a really hard temperament, all those things. So I felt like, and then I had all these friends with three-year-olds who were like, don't worry, it gets better. And I was like, When, like, is it gonna be better by Sunday at six? Because this is so hard. I love your Um, like. This sucks right now. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I felt guilty. I felt like cheated. Like I worked so hard for this, and it's still gonna be hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and I had built it to be like I was like I built this life of my dreams, and it's not awesome. This thing I built. (laughs) Um, So that felt really really hard. Um, So. When I was in that, then I was also in the background thinking, well, if we're going to do this again, if we want to have a second child, number one, I have to go through all this fertility stuff again. And number two, every day that I've had that's been really hard with this current baby, I'm going to have to live again if we have a second baby. And then do I have that in me to do it again? And that really damped, uh, put a damper on that first year for me because I spent so much time and energy worrying because worry is my gift. Worrying, like, what will this be like if we do this again? Then, as it turned out, when we went to do it again, when I finally felt ready, we ended up totally unsuccessful. um, And we basically had to draw a line in the sand and be like, how much resources are we putting into this for the second time? And I, at the time, felt like I'm good either way. Like, if this works, great. If it doesn't, I'm fine. We already won the lottery. Like, this baby who was really hard turned into a toddler who was a total delight. He's been I mean, his temperament since then has been amazing. So that first year was really hard, but it's every day since then has been better. Um, And so I was like, we've already hit the jackpot. Like, I don't need to push my luck that hard. But then again, high achiever, when I got this, like we drew a line in the sand, we were unsuccessful. And then suddenly I was like, oh, wait, like someone's gonna tell me I can't have something? Hold on a second. So there was a massive grieving process after that 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 was... um, three years ago. And I feel like I've just, in the last six months, started recovering from that. And that I did not expect at all. So what I thought was like, so when I talk about infertility, a lot of people think like, oh, well, you experienced infertility seven years ago to get this child who's now seven, but it's actually been this very long continuum that has taken up the better part of nine years of my life at this point. Yeah, right because it's been this ongoing thing in the background that's taken up time, energy, resources, decisions, financial thing, like all this stuff. So, so I think that that's what people don't see around infertility is like the pervasiveness on an such an ongoing level.
0: Yes. You know, it reminds me of, so when (laughs) Scott and I got married, um, you know, he had three children from his previous marriage. And then, um, when we got married, my son, Spencer, um, his dad and I separated when he was two months old. And so I, Spencer was two when Scott and I got married. And, you know, when I married Scott, the big question was, you already have three kids. I have Spencer. I need to know, I'm young, I'm 28. I need to know that you want to have another child because I don't want to just have like one biological child. And Scott was like, yes, no problem. Um, And then what happened was, Um, his daughter, Sydney, ended up coming to live with us full time. And so it just never really felt like the right time. Mm. Um, You know, she, she did um, need a lot of like mothering and fathering and just, um, you know, she was in the fourth grade at the time. And so it just was, we were blending two families, we had just gotten married. um, And we were just constantly dealing with difficult outside circumstances. And so it never really felt right to have another child. Um, in in the current situation, but like, I never, ever, ever lost that dream or desire. And so, um, when Sydney was a sophomore, she chose to move back with her mom. And I'm like over there, like knocking on my husband's (laughs) shoulder. And I'm like, just so you know, I still want to have a baby and I have never lost this feeling. I, I, I just, I really, and he was a 46 at the time. He had had some trauma um previously with just other uh, other things. And he just said, I'm too old and I can't do it. I, I can't mm. I can't start over. And I'm just gonna tell you, I was so pissed I couldn't cease. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. so then began the cycle of mm. resentment towards my husband, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. like, I got cheated out of this when I agreed to do things that were for the better of our family as a whole. Yeah. And it robbed me of my chance to have another child and my golly, you told me this and now you're reneging. And I mean I was I had we had to go to counseling. I had to go to counseling. Scott went to counseling to see if he could possibly bring himself to do to have another child. And at the end of and my husband's a pretty like passive guy. He pretty much does whatever I want. It's just in his nature. Mm -hmm. But he had a lot of I think trauma and different things in the back of his head around parenting and long story short, Sarah, he put his foot in the ground and said, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And so, so I spent a long time being angry and resentful. And I, you know, we went to counseling over it. And I remember my, the counselor saying, you know, Kim, you have to make a decision. Like you can get out of this marriage and maybe you'll find someone and maybe you'll be able to have another child or you have to decide that your marriage matters more to you than having this child and so I made the decision to stay in my marriage and to do my own healing around that grief and I have come through that and I've come to see that I would not be doing what I'm currently doing if I had a four or a five-year-old around right now yes I understand that I was that maybe God's bigger plan was for me to birth a different kind of baby Mm But let me tell you that I'm just going to go there with our audience because we're talking about grief and we're talking about how we get these reminders that take us back into grief. Scott was having a bit, like when we finally made the decision, it's over. I was having a lot of problems with my menstrual cycle. They wanted to do an ablation on me. I agreed to it because we had, you know, Scott was not going to budge. Scott had the vasectomy. I had the ablation. I go in the day before, get this, Sarah, I go in the day before and they have to do an ultrasound just to make sure you're not pregnant before they go in and burn the insides of you out or whatever they Mm -hmm. do. I am laying on the table. The nurse has the ultrasound machine on my belly. She has no idea of my past history and how hard it is for me to even shut the door and know Mm -hmm. that once this is done, it's done. The screen is in front of me and she says, oh my, Kim, look at that. You have the most beautiful egg dropping in the next 12 hours.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: I laid there, the tears began to just stream down my face. And she said, oh my goodness, I'm so, what's wrong? And so I kind of had to explain it. Cause to me, to me, that was two things. One, I thought God was giving me a sign, right? Right. And, and, and two, I was like, that's my, that's it. That's him or her. I've always right. felt like I'm supposed to have him or her and there she is. And so immediately I text Scott, you know, I'm like, oh, can we just, you know, can we just, like, this is divine intervention. Like, can we just, right. you know, have sex one time? And if it happens, we know it was right. meant. Right, right. And he was like, he, he couldn't do it, you know. So so long story short, today when I see a pregnant woman on the TV or I see a pregnant mom, there's a part of me that aches still for mm. that, that grief resurfaces like it does for you. Yeah. Oh, I have that a lot with
1: people with, Family photos, yeah, or, or people being like, Oh, we're having a third or a fourth or a fifth, and I'm like, Really? I know, right? And not that I want to like take
0: anyone else's happiness, but I'm like, Oh, Steve, that's... <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and I, I think that that, like, we can come through hard things, and I know you coach women on this a lot, we can come through hard things. We have the ability, you and I have trained our our brains to be able to see the hidden gifts among yeah, the struggles. Totally. But it doesn't take away that we still feel pain at times. Yeah.
1: I had a client years ago and this like was such a game changer for me. So she was a client of mine before I was married. She was married had been married for a while. She was approaching 40. She had had I didn't know this, but we were just having this casual conversation one day during her workout and Um, we were talking about kids or something. She's like, yeah, we, you know, we went down that road. We tried, I had a lot of miscarriages. So at a certain point we just, you know, we, we just had to kind of decide that wasn't for us. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like that must've been a really big decision. And she said, well, what we ended up deciding and kind of agreeing upon was that this was so traumatic to go through all these miscarriages. So we decided that if we weren't going to continue down that road, that instead we would commit to building a life that we couldn't have had if we had had children. And so we have this nice house and we have these nice cars and we go on these fancy vacations because we can afford that because we aren't funding a child's education and, you know, raising a child. And that has always stuck with me that when you are, when you're given something, that's not the thing that you planned, what do you get to do with those circumstances that can actually be fruitful for you? And so I think of that all the time. And so when we couldn't have the second child, Then I immediately was like, okay, with my husband, like we will live a life that we couldn't live if we had two small children. And so within like the, if our last attempts, we had gone through IVF, if that attempt had worked, we would have been during the time that that baby would have been born, we ended up booking a trip to Europe and we took many to Paris. So I was like, okay, so instead of having a baby, it's not the same, not saying it's the same, but I'm going to do the thing I could not, I absolutely could not be doing if I had a newborn right now. Let's take our five-year-old to Europe. So that's what we did. And we really, really stand by that. Um, we all got up skiing last year. Like I took up skiing. I'm scared of momentum and heights. Like skiing should not be my sport. But we took, Vinny got up there. Vinny loves skiing. Like we would never be a skiing family if we had a second child. And so, or at least not at this time in our lives. I travel for work. I've been able to build this community, build the Shameless Mom Academy, do live events for my work all the things that I get to do, it's all because I, I can do all of that because I don't have a two-year-old right now. Right. Um, so I am constantly aware of the gifts of infertility. I also, and I think that you have this too, you know, I've talked about this a little bit. I feel like the bond that I have with my, with my one is like, the most precious thing. I mean, we might be slightly codependent, but, I, <laughs> but I, I just think it's so, so special. And I have so many moms who I work with and mom friends who are like, I constantly feel like I have to divide my attention and one is never getting enough. And the other one always needs more. And I'm always leaving something hanging. And I'm like, my kid gets so much of me, I'm like, I'm tired of both of us <laughs>
0: right. but you're right that that is i I love that because what we're doing is we're telling ourselves another story, like the story yeah. doesn't have to be, you know, we are this three person family. We are that's one yeah. story. He doesn't have a sibling, right? Then he mm-hmm. doesn't have a sibling, right. But if it doesn't also, mean it's less the, than, yeah. Here are those hidden gifts. And so it's so funny that you bring that up. Spencer and I are going skiing in just a few weeks. We go snow skiing every year together. Fun. Um, and I think, yeah, that's one of the gifts is that there is a different kind of bond, not that it's better than those who have, but there right. is a different kind of bond whenever, yeah. let's be honest, it's not as hard for you and I to be parents as it is for people right. who have multiple right. kids. And right. Am I sometimes envious of my friend, Trish, who has four children? I am in all of her, you know, um, but I also understand that this is my route. And so I love what you're talking about, circumstances, because as you know, the happiness researcher that I am knows that, that whether you have kids or you don't have kids, that's an external circumstance and that the research comes back, that that contributes to no more than 10% of your long-term happiness. Right. Right. And in fact, I always tell this to parents, what the research shows is that once you become a parent, you actually, for the rest of your life, believe it or not, you do have a little bit of a dip in your happiness levels. Because <laughs> I read that out. when I was you're pregnant. Out. Yeah, you're stressed out all the time, right? Yep.
1: Yep. It's the hard. happiest time. I can't remember the, the exact like framing of the research. You probably know it, but the, like the happiest time in a woman's life, in a mom's life where she like rates her happiness the highest is in the third trimester of pregnancy. And I read this during my third trimester and I was like, Oh my God, it all ends here. Yeah. I think it was the happiest time in your marriage. Oh, the happiest that time that in your marriage is in your third trimester because there's so much hope and anticipation and you haven't had to face
0: any of the hard stuff. Exactly, (laughs) right? And so I actually have this pretty um, famous author who has let this situation of she and her husband never being able to have children, it has truly been the number one preventer of Mm -hmm. how much happiness and joy she will allow herself to experience. And I was at a conference, I was giving a conference and she heard me quote that research. And I know it sounds silly, but she literally sent me a message and said, you have no idea how that new information has freed me. Yes. I yes. thought that I would never allow myself to experience the same level of happiness um, as people who have kids. And I now know that that is me preventing myself yes. from doing that. Totally, yeah, it's absolutely the stories that we tell ourselves. It is. Oh, my goodness. We, you and I could talk forever, so we Mm -hmm. have all of this, um, all these commonalities. You talk fast and move fast, I talk (laughs) fast and move fast. I love it. You said you married a man nine years older. I always tease Scott Struble because he's eight years older, which you know, when we're grown ups, it's not a big deal, but I'm like, I was in the fifth grade when you graduated <laughs> high school. Like, were you like peering at the fence back then when I was a little kid playing That's on the playground? So funny. So yeah. funny. But I do love that you work with moms, especially, um, who, I think this idea of being a mom is so, I don't know, what's the word for it, Sarah? It's, it's just a, it's really hard
1: Yeah, it is really. (laughs) I mean, I think it's really dynamic and multifaceted. And I think that there's different, I think we, I think women struggle with compartmentalization and in different ways than men. So I think men can like go to work and be like, I'm at work right now. And I'm only at work. Whereas women, if we're at work, we are also like planning dinner, doing our kids' homework, scheduling birthday parties, planning vacations, And figuring out how we can make sure that our kids has social, you know, great social relationships all within our work day versus like compartmentalizing, like, I'm just going to be at work until five and then I'll think about all those other things. So I think that that's um, I think that's like the unique piece of motherhood is that is how all these boundaries are blurred and the struggle that that creates um, in terms of mental load. um, I think it's, can be pretty overwhelming, and I don't think, I think men just are, their brains work in a different way where they can compartmentalize and be like, I'm going to be in dad mode from 7 to 8 a.m., in work mode from 8 to 5 p.m., in dad mode from 5 to 7 p.m., Yeah, and then I'm just going to, like, you know, watch a show. (laughs) Right, and then you, you better get in wife mode by (laughs) 9. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I just think it's a really different, I think it's so challenging, um, because no one warns you about how, uh, the I mean, the mental, the mental load is very burdensome at times. Um, and it's so much more than just mo- the mothering part of it. It's the household management and all these other things that come with it that like, you just don't, know that you're going to have to be responsible for until you're in it. And that you don't know that you're going to potentially have to like have conversations with a partner around like, why do I have to make all the doctor's appointments? Why do I have to clean the bottles? Why do I have, like, why is this automatically just on me? Um, So it's, it's a lot to take on. It's also amazing. It's also so awesome. I mean, it's easily the best thing I've ever done. Um, But it's also hard in so many different directions. So yeah, it's it's constantly like, how do you want to look at it? Like I right now, I had a mom recently um, ask if I could take her son to soccer practice every Wednesday with Vinny because she was working. And she, I was like, yeah, absolutely. She said, can you do it every now and then? I was like, I'll just take him every Wednesday for the whole season. It's not a big deal. She was like, Oh my gosh, that's like the biggest favor ever. And I was like, you don't understand for me to quit my work, to end my work day at three o'clock and take these two little boys to soccer. It's like the highlight of my week. Mm. It is so much fun for me. So thank you because she has the best behaved little kid ever who I want my child to be exposed to. I'm like, yes, please. Uh-huh. Like, let me be a part of this. And so I think that that's, for me, the gift comes in like stopping a work day a little early to go do something that's pretty trivial in comparison to go yeah. watch these little kids play soccer in the first grade. But, so. but I
0: love that the woman was willing to ask for help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I liked that too. And we
0: have to, we do, we have, to have the tough conversations with our spouses and really, it's our responsibility to change the social script of, you know, like we are allowed to be ambitious working women with careers mm-hmm. and still be really great mothers. And it doesn't have to be yes. one other. And yeah. so you're a great model for that. And I know that you work with so many women on how to do all of that, how to do it without so much guilt and so much shame. And mm-hmm. so where, so for my moms out there, yes. where can they find more of Sarah Dean so they can find me on any podcast
1: app. If you just do a search for the shameless mom Academy, or you can go to my website
0: at shamelessmom.com. Excellent. And my last question, I always end every interview like this. Tell me, um, what is a kind of super fun, unique way that you are claiming more joy in your life right now?
1: Hmm. So, we are recording this before the new year, and I am making a goal around spaciousness in the new year. So I'm going to be reclaiming joy by having better boundaries around my schedule, um, and just to create some space for me to have a little more downtime. And specifically, um, I want to start meditating more regularly. Um, and when I know most people are going to be like, really meditation is going to bring you joy, but yes, I believe it will. Yeah, it will. I think that I... it will help me quiet the clutter in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I think that'll feel really good. So and I, I think of, I mean, I think joy can come from a lot of things and some of, sometimes that can be like an immediate gratification thing. And sometimes it's part of a bigger process that has some discipline around it. And I think meditation will create
0: that. Yeah. It's one of the top five happiness habits. Did you know that? I did not know, but yeah, meditation is one of the top five. And per- personally it's on my list. It's the one happiness habit that's fallen to the wayside. For and that's
1: for me, I feel like it's the harder one for me to integrate. Like yeah. I can work out every day. That's not a problem. Right. Meditation
0: <laughs> because you and I don't understand the gift yet of slowing down. Exactly. Yeah. So I use the Ananda app, just an FYI. Ooh, okay. Chopra has an Ananda app. It's like okay. eight ninety nine a month and it's okay. around themes, like it might be today's is on joy or abundance or sense of belonging. And he does like a little two or three minute intro to talk about that topic. And then he sends you to the meditation. So I have found that because my mind is so wild that I do have to have sort of um, someone coaching Something me,
1: guided. Yeah, I prefer guided as well. Like, don't yeah. tell me to just sit quietly. <laughs>
0: all right, I know, I hear you. All right, Miss Sarah Dean, thank you so much for your vulnerability, your truth, your your realness, um, and your tips for all of us showing up in a bigger way in our lives. I appreciate you so much.
1: I appreciate you, Kim
0: Struble. Whoop whoop, we did it. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm super honored to share this space with you, and I hope you learned something new and helpful. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash She Finds Joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time joining the show, know that I am here every Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can go to that directly if you go to kimstrobel.com forward slash podcast. That will put you in Apple podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down just a little bit, you will be able to leave that five-star review and just leave me a few sentences, letting me know what you thought about the show. It really helps me. If you let me know how the show has impacted you and how you are striving for more joy in your life, you might be nominated to be the Joyful Woman of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more women unleash their happiness one daring day at a time. So, please take a screenshot on your phone, share it out on social media, tag your friends, tag me at Kim Strobel Joy on Instagram or in our Facebook group, kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy. I'm quick to reply and I am super eager to send you some Facebook love. It makes my heart happy to be able to connect and surround myself with other women who are all ready to do this work. So thanks for being here and I'll be back next week. Until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you know that you are enough just as you are. Here's to finding more joy.